Good morning, church. I cracked. I don't know why I cracked. That's I'm 13 again. Uh, just real quick, for those of you who uh, were, or were uh, I would say, responsible enough to get here early, you got a little treat this morning, I hope you notice, right? Give it up for our Christmas carolers that were out in the hallway. And, uh, and in case you did miss it, and I know stuff happens, and if you're like me, you can barely get here with all the kids and all that stuff, so no worries, no condemnation on you. As a matter of fact, our carolers will be in the foyer after service. Uh, just a little something to get you guys into the holiday spirit as, uh, as we're, Christmas is fast approaching, and um, I feel like Christmas comes faster when you're an adult than when you're a kid, probably because you have to buy presents, and you have to set up, and you have to think about all these things, and um, as I was thinking about kind of this month and what we're going into, uh, I was thinking about Luke chapter 2 and, and the birth of Jesus and the story that we read, and I found something interesting that really caught my eye. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. If you don't have your Bibles, the Bible in the sky is going to help you out real quick, but listen to what the Word of the Lord says. It says, and while they were there... The time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. I want you to recognize how the Lord chose to send Jesus. Because uh, I think part of how he came is why so many people had an issue with believing that Jesus was the Messiah, even in that time. Because in their minds, this long-awaited Messiah, Savior of the world, the person who was going to liberate the Jews and, and everything that they had had. And remember, there was almost 500 years of silence that nobody had heard from God. And then all of a sudden, he shows up, and he doesn't show up the way everyone assumed he would show up. You see, in everyone else's mind, this was going to be a triumphant entry. This was going to be like the clouds parted and this mighty parade and on this giant throne, this magnificent God was going to come down and it was going to be spectacular and the whole world would be in awe. But what happens? It's a young virgin girl and her fiance in a small little area from a ghetto place named Bethlehem. And, and they, don't, they don't even have enough to, to get a room to stay. And they're being in a little barn and a little manger. And this little baby, innocent and pure, is born. It, it really messes with everybody else's perception. Because instead of coming strong and proud, he came meek and humble. And the reason I think this is so interesting is because as believers, we need to mimic this attitude. I want to talk to you about staying humble. Now, a lot of us think, well, Pastor, I am humble. Well, just saying that means you're kind of maybe not, okay? <laughs> but this is something that we need to be mindful of because pride creeps up. Humility has to be intentional. But pride will inevitably, inevitably creep up. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about even with Christmas. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, you know, people would always, after Christmas, when you came back from school break, everybody would start swapping. So what did you get? And I got this, and I got a Nintendo, and I got a bicycle, and everybody's swapping stories. And, and there were times where I, I felt insecure because I was looking at certain friends of mine, and I'm like, man, this guy's rich. He got this, and he got this, and he got this. And there were certain parameters for me to measure whether I thought you were rich or not. 
I don't know if y'all were like this. I remember I had a friend, he had to be so rich in my mind because when I went to his house one time, he, I wanted a drink. He's like, go ahead and get in the fridge. And I opened the fridge, there were individual Gatorade bottles. I'm like, this family's rich. There wasn't like a pitcher of Kool-Aid or, you know, just water. Like, it was individual Gatorade bottles. And my mind was blown. I've never been in someone's house that was so rich. And I would look at my friend, I'm like, he's so rich, he's so rich. And then I realized something as I got older. That kid's not rich. His parents got money. But he ain't got no money. He didn't do nothing. So when he would walk around and flaunt his new clothes and his new toys and his new stuff, I would not feel as insecure because I'm like, buddy, you didn't do anything for that. You don't have a job. You didn't earn that. That's not your money. You are not rich. Your mommy's rich. Your daddy's rich. You are just as broke as I am. (laughs) And this is something that you and I need to remember. We are not rich in and of ourselves. Our father is rich. And because he is rich, he blesses us with his riches. But we got to be willing to stay humble. Because it's important to understand one very key thing. The Lord gave me this phrase and I just thought it was was just so powerful for me. Because when we're not humble, we tend to look down on people. When we're not humble, we tend to look at people as less than. Even believers can look at non-believers and feel like we're superior to them. Feel like, well, look at what they're doing. Look at how they're living. You know, parents, you can do that sometimes. You can look at your kids' friends and be like, oh, I don't want you hanging out with them. They're a bad influence. And everybody else in the community else, no, your kids are the bad influence. You just don't see it yet. Because it's easy to look down on somebody else. But one thing that the Lord reminded me is that uh, God doesn't look down on us. He came down to us. He didn't look down on us. He came down to us. The one in this entire universe who has every right to be prideful, who has every right to be arrogant should he choose to, who has every right to say and believe and know that you are inferior to him, did not look down on you, but came down to you. This is the example that we are to follow. And we're reminded of this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to a church that he had established in an area called Corinth. Corinth was a very vibrant, rich city. A lot of crazy stuff would happen in Corinth. Paul goes down there, plants a church, raises it up. And then moves on to plant the next church. And he starts getting reports of drama happening in the Corinthian church. And people go to him and they're like, man, you, there's some stuff happening, things you need to address. We also have a number of questions. And so the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter addressing a number of issues that had been going on in the church of Corinth. And I got to be honest with you, it's not the nicest of letters. It is very much a rebuking letter. He is calling them out as a spiritual father saying, hey, watch it. And there's one particular area in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that he's addressing that I think goes with what we're talking about. See, a lot of the Corinthians started to get puffed up in their spirituality and who they were. They started to think they were somebody better than what they really were. They were even going so far as to feel like, we don't even need you, Paul. We've already surpassed you. We're better than that. And they start getting arrogant about who they are. And Paul, being a good spiritual father, says, well, I'm going to have to check that attitude real quick. 
And if you read, read the whole chapter, uh, Corinthians chapter four, because it's funny. I love every time the Bible uses sarcasm, because I just think it's so funny thinking about sarcasm in the first century. And so Paul lays into them with sarcasm, with humor, with love, with rebuking. And then he, he kind of, for me, sums it up in just one verse where he asks them a few questions. Now, again, you know you're in trouble when your mom and dad ask you questions. When your mom and dad sit you down and say, why do you think you did that? Or well, how did you think that was going to turn out? And you're like, I, these, you don't even need the answer to these questions. But it's for you to understand. Listen to what he says. And this is going to be our main text. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Let me read that again. What makes you, or who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? I want to look at those three questions real quick. And my hope is that we would reflect a little bit on the inside. And if there's pride, that God would help us with it. And if there's humility, that God would help us maintain it. But there's three questions that I think as believers, we should continually remind ourselves of. And the first one he brought up was this. For who makes you different from anyone else? Church, it's important to understand that we are all the same in Christ Jesus. When it comes to uh, coming to Jesus, all of us now are equal in his eyes. There is no one, I'm not better than you because I'm a pastor. You're not better than me because you've been a Christian longer. There is no better than worse than we are all the same in God's eyes. We are all sinners who are in need of a savior and received grace from God, even though we didn't deserve it. And so God levels the playing field. Now, the problem a lot of times in Christianity is we want to kind of evaluate ourselves based on somebody else. That we create the barometer of, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Or at least I'm further along than that person. When the reality is nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus tell us to measure ourselves against another individual. As a matter of fact, the opposite. Our measurement, our barometer is Christ. And so he's saying, if you want to truly measure where you're at in your spiritual walk, measure it to Christ. Now, some of you might say, but that barometer is too big, but that's still the goal. So obviously, we're always going to fall short, but we strive towards perfection in Christ Jesus. But he's the standard. Like, if you were the standard, then I already made it. Like, half of y'all, I'm good. Like, gee, I'm better than this guy, I'm better than that guy. But again, <clears throat> in order to appease ourselves, we want God to grade us on a curve. We want God to look at us and go, okay, but we're all really bad. So can you measure us against like not the worst of us? And, you know, on a curve, we all get A's. But that's only to appease you. The reality is we're all on the same playing field. Listen, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belong to you. Level playing field. Listen. Just because you might have a particular gifting doesn't make you better than anybody else who maybe doesn't have that gifting. 
Just because you can sing doesn't make you better worshiper than someone who can't sing. Because listen, there are plenty, not to know, I love our singers, I'm not calling anybody out, but there have been plenty of singers whose heart's not worshiping God. All right, who's, they, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And on the same token, there are plenty of people who maybe are in the congregation who, who can't fight the beat or find the beat if their life depended on it and, and are always off key, but their heart is pure. Their heart is genuinely worshiping God. Now, between those two, the one who can sing like Whitney Houston and the one who sings like me on a bad day, whose worship do you think God responds to? Be careful about measuring things based on what our perception of what we see in another. And so I remember one time when I was a kid, I, I was at a McDonald's and uh, me and my best friend were there and there was some guy just, I don't know, he was just trolling us, trying to mess with us. And he suddenly, he looks at my friend and he notices my friend had a Jesus uh, cross on his, or Jesus necklace on. And he goes, oh man, I'm sorry, I don't mess, you know, with, with godly people, dude, I'm sorry, I don't mess. And my friend starts laughing. And he goes, oh dude, I ain't been to church in years. This is the Christian guy. <laughs> He made a judgment based on what was hanging around his neck, not what was in his heart. And sometimes we do that. Why? Because it makes you feel better. It makes you feel better when you look at somebody. That's why we sometimes, we don't say this out loud. Sometimes you rejoice when another Christian sins because it makes you feel a little bit better. Because you're like, ah, I thought they were perfect. I'm glad they're not. Well, that's not good. We shouldn't rejoice because a celebrity pastor fell. It should grieve us. It should grieve us because they believe that hype. Or, or, and listen, no, not part of me wishes I never become a celebrity. I don't want the pressure of the world. I want only God's pressure on me. But at the same time, we can't allow ourselves to be puffed up by pushing somebody else down. Now, that's in the church. As for non-believers, remember, if you look at Galatians, he says, for all are children of God through faith in Christ. It's important to remember this from time to time because there's a common saying that, well, we're all God's children. No, we are not. The Bible is clear that only those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior get the honor of being considered children of God. There's other scriptures that remind us that there are some who are children of the devil, people who don't belong to Jesus by default. And so you have to make that distinction but it's important to understand that even those who are non-believers, it's not what makes you different from them, but it's who makes you different from them, right? When I read the verse, it took me a few times to find out, man, did I read that wrong? Because the saying to me in my mind is always, well, what makes you so different? And it's always been what makes you so different. But every time I read the verse, I thank God that his word never changes. It was for who makes you different? Church, it's important to understand that what makes you different was not because of you, but because of who. Whatever is different in our lives because we've accepted Jesus Christ is not through our own merit or our own strength or our own ability, but by the grace of God. Amen. Titus chapter 3, <coughs> verse 3 through 7. It says, at one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, by whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior. So that... 
having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Is there a difference between believers and non-believers? Absolutely. There, absolutely there's a difference. And the difference should be visible. People should recognize that there's something different in your life. You can't be saved and be the same at the same time. Eventually, as you grow in your relationship with God, you are transforming yourself more and more into the image of Christ, less and less into what you look like. So there absolutely is going to be a difference between believers and non-believers, and there should be. But just remember that it's who made you different, not what makes you different. It wasn't your own effort. It wasn't because you don't do this and you don't do that. So oftentimes we, we criticize unbelievers and we look down on them and we, we belittle them and we're like, well, look at their life they live and look at how they are and it's disgusting and it's wrong and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The only difference between you and that sinner is that you found grace, mercy, and salvation in Christ Jesus and they have yet to do it. It's the only difference. Because remember, at what point you were foolish like that too. Oh, how quickly we forget how dumb we once were. Right? That was a lesson I learned in my years of youth ministry. Because there were times I'd look at some of these teenagers and I'm like, well, this, I can't understand this kid. And I'd get mad when they would do certain things. I'd get frustrated. And then the Lord would remind me, do you remember when you were 14? And I'm like, God, I'm trying to forget that. <laughs> You remember when you were 16? You remember the grace that was shown to you? You remember how long it took you to get yourself together? And God reminds me of where I was so that I can appreciate where I am. Amen. Listen, some of us, you, you've forgotten where you were. You've forgotten the project that you were. You, you keep thinking you came out the womb a finished product. And because of that, it's easy to look at somebody else and criticize them or judge them or, or look down on them. No, no, this should be compassion. You think I haven't seen things? I've seen people in our church go to the bathroom and use drugs. Do I get mad? Why am I going to get mad at a drug addict being a drug addict? You know what I do? Thank God they're in this building. Because in this building, I'm praying they find hope in Christ Jesus. And yes, maybe they came in a drug addict. My hope is they walk out clean and sober. Like that's, that's the understanding that we have to have. And so, listen. When you see somebody walking through these doors and you can tell that they're all messed up, and even if you can't, as mature Christians who are appreciative of the grace that's been shown to them, our responsibility is never to look down on them, but to come over to them, to sit with them and love them and greet them and say, hey, let me show you the bread that I found when I was starving. Let me get you to the Jesus that has changed me. And... One more side note on this. Do not offer them behavior modification. Well, hey, listen, if you just trust a little bit differently, if you just stop doing this sin, if you just, like, we think the answer sometimes is helping them change their behavior. Listen, the answer to the drug addict was not getting them off of drugs. It's getting them to Jesus. Because they can get off of drugs and still be addicted to something else. And we, we measure it like, well, yeah, but, but this, is, this is crazy. Well, everything's crazy because everything leads to hell if you don't have Jesus. And so for me, the answer is not stopping the alcoholic. It's not getting the prostitute off the streets it's not keeping the adulterer from adultering the only transformative thing that could ever really be successful is a relationship to Jesus 
And so my end goal is to connect them through Christ and allow them the Holy Spirit to begin to chip away at the sin in their life. Let the Holy Spirit begin to move. This is not my job to criticize you into salvation or to criticize you into a life with Jesus. My job is to love you while you're in the process of learning to love Jesus. And if we can do that, then we can move forward. Now, how do we make sure we change that mentality? Well, we gotta remember a couple of things, like point number two. Remember this, what do you have that you did not receive? <laughs> what do you have that you did not receive? It's like I was mentioning with my friend. Uh, he ain't rich. I remember the, the same friend, they had a basement with a pool table in it. And I'm just like, wow, so much money. But again, not his money. His dad's money. That's his dad's pool table. That's his dad's Gatorade in the fridge. That was his dad's blessings upon him. And in the same way, you and I have to remember whatever blessing we have, whatever good thing we've received in our lives is a gift from God. And the Bible says it over and over again. Listen, John chapter three, verse 27. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. And then James, James is always going to just be really in your face. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Right? Which means what? You can be deceived. You can be convinced otherwise. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything you have... You have because God gave to you. <laughs> I've told this story a few times, but let me remind those, especially if you're new. And my family's here, so don't repeat the story, guys. But there was a time where, uh, as a, I think, four-year-old, three or four years old, uh, I had enough of my family, and I had enough of my sisters who were very, very bullying and very, very mean. Pastor Evelyn is not the nicest children's pastor you know when she was little. <laughs> I was tired of it. I was tired of everything they had done. And so I decided I'm leaving. I had read a book about a rooster who ran away and I was educated now. And so I decided I'm running away. I'm out of this joint. And so I went into the room. I got a little suitcase or I don't know what it was. I got a little bag and I started throwing all this. I mean, half of it was probably my sister's clothes, but I'm just throwing clothes in there because that's what I saw in the story. And my mom walks in and she says, what are you doing? I said, mom, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of everybody. I'm out. I quit. I'm leaving. And I'm packing all this stuff. And, and my mom, smart lady, she looks at me and goes, well, what are you packing? That's, those are my clothes. That's my bag. You want to leave? You can leave, but you can't leave with what's mine. So what did she do? You think she would have just left the lesson there. But I'm guessing my mom was also fed up. And so she took the bag, flung it across the room, took me, stripped me naked, picked me up, took me to the front door, opened the front door, pushed me outside, and locked the door behind me, left me naked and open on Kilbourne Avenue, banging on the door, trying to get back in. And what did she say? You came into this world naked, you can leave my house naked. Now, how many know, in that moment, I realized... Oh, I need to get back in. <laughs> I'm banging on the door like this is not a sight to see. 
No, thank God she let me back in. <laughs> it's like, don't, too late to call DCFS, but she let me back in. But we didn't care about DCFS. That was not a threat. I let them take you. <laughs> like, that was what my mom would say. You know what I realized in that moment? Nothing I have is mine. And you think just because you're grown and you bought that clothes and you bought that house, you, you somehow now convince yourself that's yours. Don't you realize all God has to do is take a finger off of your life. <laughs> Again, the more blessed we are, the more independent we try to become of God, as if the blessing came from ourselves. And so we start getting arrogant, we start getting angry, we start getting puffed up with pride. We start acting like, well, I don't need you anymore, God. I'm tired of the church. I'm tired of Pastor Joey. I'm tired of all this stuff. I'm gonna do my own thing. And God looks at you and goes, naked you came into this world and naked you can leave. And slow and steady, he starts taking his hand of mercy and grace off of you. Not doing anything bad to you. You just forgot that everything you have is by the grace and mercy of God. And if he just... Gently removed. That's what I learned in that lesson. Right? My sisters were still annoying. But I forgot that my mother and father were the ones who were blessing me and watching over me and providing for me. I thought I was big enough to handle things on my own. And here's the reality. We are never self-sufficient. We will never get to a point where we can be independent of God and survive in the way we think. And then it goes on to say one more thing. It says, and if you did not receive, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? So it's important to remember that every gift you have is a gift from God, that everything we received, we received through his love and mercy. So if you get that and understand that, it's impossible for you to boast or brag or be prideful of what you have. And this is what he's talking about. He said, no, no, if you truly understand that everything you received, you received from God, then why are you bragging as if it was your own? Why are you prideful as if you did it within your own strength and within your own merit? And I get it. I think a lot of times, you know, we're like, well, it was really hard to get to where I am. Yes, I understand that. But it's not like you got there alone. It's not like the Lord just saved you and said, now figure everything out on your own. It is by God's grace. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we overcome sin and death. It's how we continue to mature and become sanctified in Christ Jesus. It is all through his works. And so it's important never to get arrogant about that. Never to get prideful and boastful and start acting like, well, I've done this and I've done... And, you know, sometimes I'll see people that'll, that'll do that. Even pastors. You know, when pastors get together, one of the first questions you'll hear is like, so like, uh, what size is your church? I'm like, oh, are you serious? I, uh, who's taller? Like, is that what we're going to do right now? <laughs> what size is your church? I said, what does that matter? Is the size of my church going to be dependent on if we're going to have a relationship or not? And listen, I'm just telling you from behind the curtain when it comes to pastors, that's a real seduction. To, to brag and, and here's I mean, especially when I was in youth ministry I had the same mentality I would see another youth pastor with a youth group of like two three hundred and here where I was with a youth group of like 120 150 and I'm like man their youth group is like so big like 300 kids I must be terrible I must be failing but then I look yeah but their church is 7,000 ratio wise your youth ministry kind of stinks <laughs> Ratio-wise, we were like a quarter of our church. I feel good. <laughs> and again, I shouldn't measure myself up to the other one. 
but but I, I, I couldn't look at, of course you have that many kids. Look at the size of your church. It's just a percentage. It's not anything to brag about. It's not like you built that. And a lot of times, like, I can't take any credit for where this church is. This church is over 100 years old. I didn't start it. I didn't build it up myself. I didn't get it to where it is. I've inherited a responsibility that has been passed down from other strong men and women who have helped bring this church to where it is. And now it's just my responsibility for this time to take it to where it's going. But I can't boast about anything. I can't brag about anything. And I mentioned one of the things in Thanksgiving. I thank God that that we're almost twice as much in attendance as we were last year. But to think it's because I came into that position would be horribly wrong. I stand on the shoulders of Giants. I stand on the shoulders of someone like Pastor Carlos, who put 18 years of sowing and reaping and allowed me to be part of the process so that now I can just continue on what he did so long. And so why would I be boastful and say, well, look where we're at financially and look where we're at in attendance or look where. No, because here's the truth. When you boast about stuff like that, that is not to your credit, then you better also take all the blame when all that same stuff goes wrong. Because then it's also your fault. Because it's also on you, right? You took the credit for everything. You took the credit for how great you were in the Lord. And when you have a spiritual failure, take all the blame. Because it's still you. No, no, no. <laughs> we need to be careful that our heart doesn't become boastful. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. says, remember, dear brothers and sisters... That few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing I'm sorry, use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. If you want to boast, boast about the Lord. I remember, this is a lesson again, I got to go back to my mom. I've never heard my mom take credit for her cooking. And I think my mom's one of the best cooks on the planet. And every time my mom just served us a meal, for my entire life, I have always heard the same response. I'll always say, man, ma, thank you so much. Man, you really outdid yourself. This was phenomenal. Thank you, mommy. And she has never failed to respond with, thank God. It's always been her response to the point where I didn't even recognize that she would say it. She would always say, gracias a Dios, gracias a Dios. It was a natural inclination, so much so that when I started getting into ministry and I would preach and then, you know, whether it was at a church or at a camp or at an event or a conference, inadvertently you would have people that would come up to you after the message and they would say things with, with genuine kindness in their heart, but they would say things like, man, you changed my life. Man, that was so amazing. You did this, you did. And they start throwing praise on you. And then I have to be the one to remind myself and the individual. No, 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 no. God changed your life. And I got to be a part of witnessing what God did in your life. The honor is mine. Now, early on, I had to train myself to do that. Because I didn't want to get puffed up and assuming this is God's word. This isn't my word. I'm just the mailman. 
I'm just delivering. I'm just the, the Amazon delivery. I'm not hugging the Amazon guy for bringing me what I bought. Okay, I might give him a bag of chips on the side or hey, you've been coming to my house like every day. So here's, here's some, I might give you a snack, but I'm not embracing him like he paid for all these gifts. I'm, thank you very much. I hope you get to your next delivery sooner. Go for it. In the same way, who are we to boast about the things that God has done through us as if it was from us? No, 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 no. Listen, if God has used you in any way, shape, or form, boast about them. You want to brag about things? Don't brag about this church. You get people that like to brag about their church. Well, my church is this, and my church is that, and my pastor is so-and-so. Who cares? Boast about the Lord. If you want to boast about this church, boast about what God is doing in the church, not who we are in the church. Because that's not impressive. I've had people do that to me. It's like, well, you know, I'm like, oh, what, what church are you from? I'm from Pastor So-and-So's church. I've never heard of that person. And I'm not saying that to be mean. It's just I really never heard of that person. And he or I, no matter how big the name is, I, I've said this, like, let's say I'm the biggest name in the Assemblies of God, which is the fellowship where let's say everybody knows Joey Silva. And maybe nobody in the Southern Baptist Coalition knows me at all. So who cares? Let's say everybody in North America knows me and nobody in China has ever heard of my name. Again, who cares, right? It's not a boastful thing. Instead of boasting about the church you go to and the pastor you serve under and the ministries you're a part of, boast about the things that God has done. Man, this past Sunday, we had all these people getting baptized, which in a few minutes we will. We had a, man, their testimony was so great. Just watching what God is doing in the families. Man, I am so grateful for what God is doing in our children's ministry. Man, did you see what our youth did this year? They raised nearly $40,000 so that missionaries across the world can go and help children who are struggling in sex trafficking. I'm so great and excited about what God is doing. These are the things we boast about. Not about the people, but about our Lord. And if you can learn to do that, you'll realize nothing good comes from me. It only goes through me. I am just a conduit through what God has done. And so all glory and honor will always be returned back to the Lord because God can very easily use somebody else. I am humbled and I'm excited that he uses the foolish things, that he uses the powerless, that he uses the things that were despised. So that at the end of the day, people will look and go, Joe, you're a Christian? I'm a pastor, actually. <laughs> wow, God must be great. <laughs> yes, indeed God is. Worship team, if you can help me out. There's an important aspect behind all of this. As believers, we need to stay humble. Arrogance will never bring somebody into the kingdom of God. Humility, love, and grace are some of the tools in our toolbox that allow us to connect to a world of unbelievers. If we start to put ourselves here, then we're too high to reach them there. We need to have the same attitude as Christ who did not equate his glory with everything else, took his crown off, came down as a baby, humble and innocent to save a world that was lost and broken. The only way we'll be effective in connecting with an unbelieving world is taking off the air of arrogance.
and putting on the cloak of humility. I love what Philippians says as I close. Philippians chapter two, verse one through eight. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? This is almost a rhetorical question. It's something that you need to answer yourself. Do you have any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Do you find any comfort in his love? Do you have fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender? Are you compassionate towards the lost? If this is yes to any of these, this is the response, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is the attitude that we are to take as believers. An attitude of humility, an attitude of grace, an attitude of gratitude. To be reminded on a regular basis, I am no better than any other sinner in this world. I just have the honor and the privilege of having my eyes open to the only one who could save me. And just because I've gotten to a place that maybe you have not gotten to does not make me better than you. What it does do is it gives me now the responsibility to go back to you and help you to see what I've seen. Help you to experience what I've experienced. Not by jamming it down your throat or giving you a guilt trip or making you feel less than, but through prayer and supplication, through love and kindness, through mercy and grace. For as long as it takes, I will love you into the kingdom. Listen, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's go back. I highly doubt many of you were bullied into the kingdom of God. Somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. Somebody was kind enough to accept your many rejections to going to church. Someone was patient enough to love you even when maybe you didn't love them. Someone was tenacious enough to keep trying every time they might have felt like they failed. Someone loved you into the kingdom of God. Our responsibility now is to love others there too. So I'm gonna ask you to stand as we get ready to close. And again, in a moment, we're going to celebrate a number of individuals in baptism who have made this very decision we're talking about. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to just bow your head for a moment and close your eyes. I want you to listen to me. 
you to understand something very, very important. That outside of Jesus, nothing else matters. And I get it. I, I know everyone in this room has probably tried their best to be the best version of themselves they can be. But I need you to understand your best version still falls horribly short of who God has called you to be. And this morning, everything I've tried to communicate is for this one thing. Do you recognize that you are just a sinner in need of a savior, exactly how I was? That at one point in my life, even though I grew up in church, even though I always heard about God, that there was a moment in my life where I needed to decide for myself, do I believe that Jesus is all he says he is? And do I recognize the need I have for him in my life? And when I was able to understand that, and not even fully understand who God was, but just fully understand the fact that I needed him, then I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So before we celebrate those who have made that decision, maybe there's a couple of you in this room here this morning who as I was talking, you felt like there was something stirring inside of you. You felt like your mail was being read. And I want you to know that was not me, but that was the Holy Spirit, God himself calling you unto him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and the Lord. If you would say, Pastor, I recognize just how much I need Jesus. And I don't want to leave this place the same way I walked in. So if you've never given your life to the Lord, or maybe you've made some choice years ago that you failed to commit to, and you want to make sure that you are recommitted to that, all you need to do in this moment, right where you're sitting down, is lift up your hand. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. If that's you, just lift up your hand nice and high so I can see you. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Come on, lift it up. You don't have to fight. This is between you and God. This is not about what your mom and dad want or your brother and sister want or your spouse wants. This is between you and the Lord. Anyone else? Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Anyone else says that's me? I'll give you one more minute. Thank you, sir. Amen. Church, would you help me to pray? Say, Jesus, I recognize that I am no one without you. And so I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sin, to clean me, to purify me, to make me new and make me yours. I commit my life to you and you alone. I thank you, God, for your love and grace and for your humility. Help me, Lord, to love you the same way. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give the Lord a hand?